So I'm here today with Luga Glasser. Um, she's probably done about 14 trips to Mysore, I think, and she started practicing Ashtanga Yoga in 1998. Also, um, one of the few females to be certified in the method, which means she can teach the advanced series. And uh, now teaches internationally, but based in Stockholm, Sweden, originally from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, and also done very, very popular videos for Allo Moves. So, hi, Laruga. Welcome to the Keenan Yoga podcast. Hello. Um, hi. Um, so, can you just tell us how you got into yoga, first of all? Yeah, well, I feel like I've said this or answered this question many times. <laughs> 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 It'll get more interesting from here. Don't worry. <laughs> it's so funny. Just a brief background. Every time, oh, let me drink some water. Yeah. Every time that I answer that question, it's always a little bit different. Um, how did I start? Well, sometimes it's a hard thing to just really pinpoint because when I entered into yoga, there was a lot of different things going on in my life. And, you know, my first, my first contact with yoga was really in adolescence when I was just interested in conscious thought and spirituality, even exploring different religions. So like through that exploration, I, I came across uh, yoga or yoga philosophy at the time, I didn't know it, but I saw, you know, I came across snippets of the Yoga Sutras and I came across Ashtanga Yoga, actually, like before. When you were like mm -hmm. that young, that young, when you were a teenager. Yeah, more of my later teens, like right. later part of high school. And I remember coming across Ashtanga Yoga Eight Limbs um, and just thinking it was all very interesting, you know, like I there was something that just struck me about it. And when I look back on it, I, I just feel like it was like a recognition of something, you know, like I, who knows, like who knows if I've known yoga in a past life or whatever, I don't know. I'm not even claiming that to be true, but I just felt like when I came across the yoga philosophy, there was just a recognition, like a, like a, Oh, okay. This is something that's striking me in this moment. Hmm. Something that I want to continue to explore. What I found to be really interesting about the yoga philosophy was just, again, and I, I feel like I've said that some, this so many times that it, it was ultimately experiential. It was putting yourself into the rhythm, the discipline to really understand something that's beyond words. Mm -hmm. Now that really spoke to me because when I studied more conventional religions, it kind of felt like, you know, trying to fit yourself into a certain mold or mindset or like with certain rules and mm. um, certain like ways of living, which is, you know, not necessarily a bad thing, not necessarily a bad thing, but, you know, certain religions have a very defined yeah, like a know, way of living. Yeah. And this is, yeah. This is, it's up to you how to interpret it really, right? You've got a, <laughs> you've got a method, but it's up to you what it means. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fantastic. I mean, and liberating and, well, at the end of the day, I guess all religions are coming to experience, or, or that's the idea, right? Um, mm. um, then they get taken and used for other other means. Yeah. Um, Self-experience, the experience of others in the end. And this is very, you know, it's always been very open-handed, the gift of yoga. Yeah. Yeah, and that was kind of like my start, my introduction. And then 
I did through that, that research understand that there was something known as asana too, that kind of intertwine with this philosophy. So you start at high, you starting practicing at high school. Is that when you got? No, 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 not, not the physical practice. So it was more me reading. Right, okay. Yeah. 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 So it was kind of that was the first introduction, but I didn't necessarily like kind of dive into it. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't until like early in university that I started to um actually practice to go into an asana practice. Cause I remembered at that time, because again, when you're at that age, there's like so many things pulling at your attention, <laughs> you know, like you know, the I was into this conscious thought, but you're very much coming into your own too, like. Yeah worrying about like, where am I going to go to college or what am I going to, what's my career going to be, you know, or hanging out with friends or it's just a lot of, a lot of things happening. And, um, I just had remembered there was a time where I was, um, experiencing a lot of, uh, back pain because of the activities that I was doing. And I, it just came into my mind that, oh, asana is supposed to be healing. You know, mm-hmm. it's, this, you know, this yoga is supposed to be healing because nothing was helping my back at the time. And then I just started to explore doing, you know, some simple um, yoga postures, like through video. And also I took a, a class, a very soft yoga class in university too. What, what, um, what were you doing for the physical that was implicating your back? When I was, well, I, ever since I was in junior high, what, what age is that? 13, 12? Yeah. I was a cheerleader. Right. That's kind of, that's what I thought. Yeah. Wow. And that's really quite full on, isn't it? Like, like making pyramids and jumping on people. Yeah. <laughs> because the, you know, in the United States, it's a, it's a huge thing. Yeah. I mean, I think in Europe people, it's, it's been in Europe for a little while, but Cheerleading is explosive in the U.S. I mean, it's it's hardcore. Yeah, and so it's like gymnastics, really, isn't it? Like, yeah. And when I was like, that's when I started in junior high. It was becoming that. It was kind of on the rise. Where now, because there's that Netflix documentary, I think it's just called Cheer. Where I was looking, like, I, it it recalled a lot of memories because I did cheer in college too. That, right. Yeah. But the level just keeps going up and yeah. up and up. It's the same for Ashtanga, isn't it, really? Well, <laughs> wasn't it? It was like, it was at a certain level. And then, you know, people came, like the Americans, that you said, they, they came over and they kind of amped it up a lot and put extra things in, you know, like the straight leg lifts and stuff that I don't, you know, never encourage there, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, there's always a new, I guess there's always a new ceiling to, uh, to competition. break. <laughs> yeah. um, and we talked a bit off camera before about um, the how, how Ashtanga ought to or could spread into normal living. I mean, obviously, um, you've done this for many years and, and, you know, like you focus pretty exclusively as we all had to get to a level of physical ability, but how did that spread out and, and how did it evolve into, into a more uh, balanced, uh, hopefully, uh, perspective on, on living? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess everyone's going to have a different idea of what balanced is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like I got up this morning, I did my practice and and then I move about my day. I, you know, I I've just, you know, I've just maintained as much as possible a daily practice on some level. I think too that at some point you kind of evolve into really kind of feeling like 
what your body needs and like, you know, how much, like, I, I, I guess I don't, it's hard to pin down, but I just feel like I really try to establish when I step on my mat, like, um, what, you know, what is the energy kind of telling me, you know, because some practices I notice, like some practices I move much more slowly, you know, more slowly, like kind of, I can feel that I have some cranky bits in the body and I'm just kind of working through that. And there's other days where it's like, it's just flowing and I'm, and I'm moving a little bit more swiftly in the practice. And so I really think. Would you moderate that or do you, do you manage to do the same every day or do you change depending on how you feel? How much does your practice physical change? Well, the thing that's so interesting is I feel like as I've gotten older, sometimes the, the, the shifts can be really different from day to day, you know, like, or maybe it's just a, maybe it's a, no, a cycle I'm, I'm yeah. going through. <laughs> unfortunately, I don't think that, I, well, unfortunately not. <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I always was interested to ask this question because for me, I mean, I think I take it a bit more easy now, but I always um, did the same and I wouldn't let myself not uh, do exactly as far as I'd gone in my soul. That's how far I would go and I would never let myself off the hook. Um, um, how do you feel? Do you keep up that same level after my soul or do you allow the ebbs and flows and say, oh, today it's not feeling great. I'll just do primary or just do half of primary or, you know, whatever. You know, if I'm really honest, if I think about like my practice history when I'm practicing on my own I, I've always kind of listened to to my body what I like if I felt like I needed to cut back I would wow yeah that's impressive <laughs> no, I mean this is the thing for me is like I've always I honor the the traditional yeah. method for sure you know but at the same time I've always in a way have thought for myself mm, mm. you know I think that um but at the same time, I mean, when I was like in my twenties practicing, I mean, I had so much energy to burn. I remember I would do two practices a day sometimes. I mean, I would never think about doing that now. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's so interesting. Like I was so like, and I also, I was so excited, you know, like, yeah, you know, <laughs> but, but then you start to see like, okay, I need to conserve my energy. I need to, to also be able to give to other things for the rest of the day. And there's always this evolution and there's always, you know, this sense of understanding what's available, you know? And, and I think if we burn ourselves out, like the joy is lost. Yeah. 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 So I think it's always funny that people assume that they, they decide on the what's happening. Whereas actually I I kind of find as you get on, on in life that you end up just honoring the energy as it, as it kind of, you know, changes, right? That you just suit your mind and what you think about things. I mean, like, because I don't think I would not, I used to do at least, a, you know, a couple of hours probably every day outside the practice, you know? And I, I like to think I wouldn't do that now that I've somehow graduated, but probably given the energy I would. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do the same stupid stuff. <laughs> um, but if it brings you joy, I mean, who am I to say? Yeah, okay, I do enjoy yeah. it. But, yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously the, like we've just talked, touched a little bit on, um, just honoring your own body, uh, but you've also got this thing called tradition and the Ashtanga is quite steeped in tradition and, uh, doing as you were taught in Mysore and continuing and not taking postures out. But how do you, how do you feel about 
the tradition and would you amend or take out or or and when you teach how does that how does that affect a broad question i know um so again like if i just start with my own practice mm-hmm. i i don't skip i don't take out like i i really see the the intelligence behind like the sequencing and also understanding there's more at work than just the physical body just that mental aspect of yeah i mean of course if it was left to my own devices of course i'd want to skip a few poses you know that i don't always enjoy doing not that you have to kill or injure yourself to get into the poses but trying to work through the that resistance you know i i personally find that really interesting the resistance that is there and I try to to teach myself to lean into it, to lean into those poses that I would rather avoid, mm-hmm. to lean into those poses that kind of scare me. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean that I should go into those poses with no skill set or to forget about working intelligently or mindfully. I think that's very important. Um, so Isn't I've that, always found that to be interesting. Yeah. What do you? I mean, I'm kind of curious as to what how you envisage leaning into. How does that? Feel. Yeah, like, just doing them and not avoiding them. Is there yeah. anything else around it that that when you say that you have that feeling and you say that, what does that mean or feel like? Because a lot of people do feel really frightened and challenged by things. And how do you lean into something? Yes. Yeah. The way I lean into it is because mm-hmm. I can feel with some poses that I've learned, I can already feel like the anxiety arising. You know. And I try to to mentally focus, to to consciously relax myself, mm. you know. And um, and I've also learned with some poses doing doing another doing another one possibly not all, not not doing it in a way where you're becoming obsessive, but also sometimes I'll add a few extra breaths until right. I can really feel that calmness settle inside of me. Right. So that's kind of how I work with like leaning into. You repeat the postures? Some poses. Right. Some poses that I, it, no, I might do that for a process. Right. For a process where I really feel like I'm understanding the pose more fully and that I can breathe um, calmly and, and feel focused, not feel the agitation, not feel that sense of wanting to jump out of the pose more quickly. Mm. You know, like that type yeah. of thing. Mm. Mm. And what about with the students? That was kind of the second amendum of my question, wasn't it? Like, a, do you yeah. do you keep it completely strict and traditional, or are you one of the teachers who allows people to go further? Say, if they've been a long-term student, they're a stiff guy, they can't do any lotus stuff. Would you say, okay, modify that Mary Charleston D, and you can do a bit more of the primary series, or, or, or for your opinion, would it, is it best to stick there? What do you think? I. You know, I feel like it's my kind of my duty in the beginning stages to the the student really understands what the method is. Mm. Like they understand the sequencing, the method that we want to have a a good level of completion before maybe going on into certain areas of the practice. Mm. Um, I I feel like I need to see that process in the in the beginning. Now, if you have a practitioner, like there's again, there's so many factors like age and and again, some people do have more resistant bodies. And I just feel like I will make those maybe possible changes. One, seeing the dedication level, you know, because yeah. sometimes students are like, can I modify this? And I'm like, yeah, I see you once a month, you know, yeah. like, 
It's like, no. So it's these <laughs> types of things I'm not so down with. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's really fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I say. I think they kind of, you see that they've got a steady practice and, you know, there's just that they came to it late and, you know, it's, I've, I personally feel it's such a shame that they can only see such a small part of the practice. <laughs> Because they happen to have, you know, be a tight guy, you know, who sits in an office chair all day. I work in the city of London, so they're mm. a stockbroker or something, you know. And well, they can only go to, up to the first seated position, and then they're, they're done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. every day just to get that, you know. What a shame. And there's two sides to it too, you know, because some some people do want more, but they haven't established the stamina. And I really see that too. Like I'm not going to just throw more postures. Uh, at a student. And I think that one thing that I've noticed kind of running around is like some people think good teaching is just adding on more poses. And that's, mm. I don't mm. think I'm really big on teaching skills, mm. like whatever the, the practitioner is working on, I want them to be skillful in it. This mm. is not necessarily about perfection. I'm not mm. trying to say that we need to, to obtain some level of perfection, but it's more about yeah, there could be someone with very resistant hips or a tighter back, but can I teach this individual how to be skillful in their, you know, in connecting with their own body, with the rhythms that they feel and learn how to work through these challenges in a very mindful way? Mm. I find that to be really important. So in one end, I feel, you know, quality is better than quantity, but at the same time, when you see that maturity, in a practitioner that's been working with you and you see that they're consistent and they're dedicated, it might be appropriate that they start entering into other areas too. Mm. I just find that there's so many factors that go into it. And that's the beauty of Mysore, you know, mm. like that, that's why I love Mysore. It's like, there's this individual understanding of each student that crosses your path. There's of course the method itself and the thing that I always keep in mind too, is I'm teaching much more than only asana as well. You know, like it's not that I'm preaching philosophy to students in a Mysore class, but I want that to kind of get into their consciousness in some way in how I teach and how I'm guiding them. So they really get a greater, bigger picture of what's working within them. Okay, so you touched upon a couple of things there that are really interesting. Um, what um, is there any way? And I know it's a you know, big question to define what you would say, like a skill set or working skillfully in posture. Uh, could you say how that feels to you? Like I can definitely, in my mind, say how I would personally define what I'm looking for as a skill in a posture. Can you say what what that would entail? Well, first of all, I just feel no reason to push a student into a pose if they're not breathing properly. Right. Why would I do that? Like if they're like, their breath is anxious, and you know, like it's now, of course, in some difficult poses, like the breath will become a, a bit more rapid of course, and like in backbending, that's natural. Yeah. But I want to feel that there's, you know, there's not a suppression of breathing, which I find uh, means that the student will be in a much safer space, first of all, you know, if there's a free flow of breath. You know, they're not like, you know, holding their breath and like white knuckling their way into a a specific pose. Um, Depending on what pose it is, I, it's almost like I'm, I offer some type of roadmap, like, you know, this is kind of first step, second, third, fourth. So again, the student can be focused of each task at hand to complete Mm -hmm. the entire pose with greater integrity and depth. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and depth doesn't always mean being as flat as a pancake or mm-hmm. like, you know, depth mm-hmm. to me is is like an all-encompassing focus of the eyes, breath, you know, like a lift and an expansion or a release, mm-hmm. you know, depending on what the pose is. Right. And you also mentioned the um the philo- like that you were teaching philosophy literally, but there was something more um <clears throat> holistic, let's say, than just the physical you're focusing on, in, in like in, in showing people. How does that come out? Does it? How does it? How would you convey it in the physical? Because obviously, you just you're not actually talking about the Yoga Sutras to them. I assume. So, <laughs> well, you might be. Uh, I do. <laughs> but um, you know. <laughs> so, how does that come out in the touch or the hand of the instruction? Is there a way? How how do you convey that that it's not just physical? Because sometimes it can easily seem that way, and certain teachers definitely make it. Very, very physical. Yeah, it's so interesting because, you know, like every student is so different. Like one way that I teach, one student is going to be a little different than the other. You start to see these little gaps like with students, like, and sometimes it's a little psychological or you see that like a student doesn't, there's something a posture brings out in them where like for instance, I recently had a student, I could just feel she didn't really believe in herself right? in, in her capacity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, and I just kind of say in a way, like, you know, you got this, there's more in you than you realize. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't go like, I don't go on and on, but I just try to really, to just kind of like give them something to chew on, like, that I just start to notice like certain patterns or, and it's interesting how certain poses kind of bring that up, you know, and I don't know if I'm answering your question, but <laughs> like, uh, yeah. uh, this again is what makes a Mysore space. I find so enriching, so interesting. Um, I guess what you're saying is you're bringing a personal connection to each person. So, yeah, you know, but also a, how I conduct myself in the room, I think, is important. Yeah, you know, and um, embodying us trying to embody a certain energy in the room, and um, I feel like that yoga philosophy. One thing that's important for me is a mindfulness in the practice. Mm-hmm. You know, like conveying that mindfulness mm-hmm. in the practice constantly. Mm-hmm. What's the how? That's interesting that you said a presence in the room. How would you define your presence? How would you like to think think of your presence in the room? I mean, some people have given me feedback, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, like I I try to um, I like when the space feels pretty calm and focused and pretty quiet. Like, you know, every once in a while you might have to call out to someone across the room, but I, I liked, I like there to be like a, a, a nice meditative, calm space, but focused, you know, with, with energy, you know, and I, I, when my teaching, I'm very, very observant, you know, and, and also I will observe before I say something like, I, I, and that's where maybe some newer teachers go wrong as they just, they're so quick to say, say, right. But I, I might even look for a few days, maybe a few weeks right? to see a pattern, to really see something in, in somebody before I offer like very concise instruction. I think that takes confidence, you know, to do that. Because, well, yeah, sure. Because first of all, I think as an early teacher, 
you want to you kind of come across as you know enthusiastic and as good as you can right um mm -hmm. and you feel the student wants something and they want to see progress and uh you know you get sucked up into that to, to kind of justifying what they want right rather than presenting the method and i mean sometimes what you want in the short term maybe not be good for you in the longer term right you know, <laughs> give me another posture you know kind of thing right yeah long term that that might not work so well they say be careful what you wish for but i uh, find that this sense of at least in art with our students i find when you really give students something to do with the mindfulness aspect right we rarely get students that are like oh, give me the next pose right. i'm ready right. like it's so funny like sometimes when i am giving poses like there's been times where students are like oh really okay like but I know that they're ready, but sometimes you're you're just giving them so a refinement of what they're doing. It's almost like they yeah they, they feel the enrichment there. Yeah, I think if you're rich with what you have, then it's like well you can do something else, but you know you don't need it. Whereas you don't feel, if you don't feel the, the kind of work going on in what you have, then all you've got is to look forward, right? Like mm. well, you can only look forward to assuming that there's some kind of sense of balance or something in in something else that you're you know in the future that you don't have, right? Yeah. Um, what, um, have you on that note? Have you have you changed? I mean, has that always been your approach in teaching, or have you changed over the years as to how you approach the teaching work? Yeah, your perspective on the teaching, how you adjusted, or how you related with the students' progress. It's you know that's a hard. It's hard for me to answer for some reason. I've just, I think personally, I've always been. You know, I always feel like. I mean, this is not unique to any or to anyone, really. I guess I just always feel like I'm learning, like I'm right. wanting to learn and learn, and and um, I mean, hopefully, I've matured, you know, as, as each year has gone by in the, in the teaching role, and um, but I'm just always curious and and wanting to learn, refine things, and a lot of that is also happening through the context of my own practice too, and things I'm leaning into myself and then kind of observing that in other students. Um, I, I just feel like, yeah, as I get older, I'm more comfortable in the role, like even more comfortable, even more trusting of my experience, mm. but still, you still have to have a shadow of doubt that there's, mm -hmm. you know, of course mm -hmm. that you, there's many things you don't know. I feel like that's such a danger with teachers when they think, that it ends with them and that they know everything. And, and one thing that I do have understood is, you know, my students, they live in their bodies. So they know more about their body than, I mean, I can see patterns, mm -hmm. but I, you know, you have to also, um, uh, you know, really trust, you know, also what a student is, is asking of you or when it comes to their experience in their own body and, I find that to also be really important in the yoga practice too, with this mindfulness is that I also, especially when you see like a beginner student and as they evolve to maybe a more intermediate student or, or whatnot, that, that you're helping them to build, build a bridge to really get that mind body connection. Yeah. yeah. That's why I feel like the methodology is so important in the beginning. Like they really understand like the structure of the practice because it helps them to connect and it's it's in a it's in a sense that they need to know the rules before they can really break them because mm -hmm. not everyone is has that mind body connection they're not embodying their body fully mm. so they can't be changing things if they haven't really discovered mm -hmm. what is there 
I think it's it's tricky, isn't it? Because essentially they're in their body. That so in theory they know it best. In practice, you know, maybe uh, you know, an, a pair of eyes on the outside can sometimes be helpful, right? So it's a tricky point to bridge. And also, it's a question I haven't asked before. But what do you do with a student who overrides your ideas? So you know, they want to carry. <laughs> well, you know, it's a, it's all you know. It, it does happen. It's it's real. It's realistic that you know you get certain students. Well, I know my body best than you do, and I'm going to carry on. And you you suggest that maybe quietly that they have enough of what you know working on what they have, and they decide to carry on. And you know, and how how do you relate with that? Because it's it, you know it's a it's a common experience I think for all teachers to have one or two students now and again that uh, decide that that they you know they're going to take the practice completely into their own hands. Uh, yeah, I you know. <laughs> I think part of the methodology is like in the discipline is, is our part of going through these different rites of passage is to become teachable. Can you, mm-hmm. can you become teachable, mm-hmm. you know? And sure. It doesn't happen very often, but I, there was one student a, a, a while back that, that was over writing, like adding on her postures for herself, but it was interesting. She was, because we have an evening, my sort too, a different teacher is there. She would say that, oh, you know, this teacher gave me this pose. And then, but she didn't realize that we all communicate with each other. So we, we know, like, you know, because she didn't realize that when it came to intermediate series, I was actually the only teacher giving poses. So she mm-hmm. thought, you know, mm-hmm. and honestly, it's one of those conversations where, you know, you can do whatever you want in your own living room and in your own time, but not, not in this space, you Mm. know? And, um, you know, it's, there's a, there's a certain protocol that we, there were, there's certain steps that we're working with here. And, um, you know, in that way, I, I really, you know, I run a tight ship in a way where this is how, this is how we're rolling things out here, do you know, especially in the learning process, right. because this student wanted to just add on, do you know, the thing that's so interesting with these types of, because again, I'm not the type of person that feels like I need to throw my power around in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just, I really am clear with how I'm teaching and, and I want to be thorough in my teaching, but what was so interesting about this particular student is that she was causing a lot of trouble in other classes. Do you know, like, it's an interesting thing. It's like, um, and what I didn't realize at that time is one of my own teachers, a male teacher, she was, she um, was, maybe I shouldn't even talk about this, but she was obsessed with him. I mean, let me say it that way. So, you know, it's really funny, like, because, you know, she really went toe to toe with me one day when I just, I said, no, 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 you need to stop here. And she was like, no, I'll do as I like. And I just said, well, then you're not welcome here if you, if you don't want to be taught, you know, mm-hmm. but this is very rare. You know? Yeah. It's very rare. Yeah. And, you know, some students, they, you know, for some reason, our community, we don't get so many students asking for poses, but if students start to broach that they want to, move on. I mean, I'm open to the conversation. Oh, really? You know? Okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, students have to be, mm. they have to feel comfortable to ask you questions, you know, mm. and in, in the relationship 
has to develop. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, you know, because you have to set a tone in the class. Yeah. You know? yeah. I, I'm really big on that. There's a tone. And what I've noticed is people that kind of come in and are a little bit troublemakers, there comes a time where they just don't really fit in. You don't even have to have the conversation because there's a certain tone and an energy and a movement and a rhythm and even a decorum and a respect level. Mm. And what's important, the teacher has to, re, to be respectful too to the students, you know, and it, it, it goes both ways. So I feel like that tone is so energetic and it's, it's important that it's maintained as much as possible. Mm. And the way you're speaking now, it's definitely, it's kind of framed in the kind of quality of engendering or developing like a humility and, and a sense of respect and, uh, you know, and working with a method and how, how have you seen that or have developed that in your practice? Because I assume you didn't necessarily come into it in that way, You're coming from cheerleading, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, you might, I didn't, from martial arts, you know, I didn't yeah. come into the practice uh, with that in mind, uh, let's say at all, um, really. Although it was very interesting in philosophy, they didn't seem to go together. Like I didn't connect the philosophy to the yoga uh, and I just pushed as hard as I could. Um, I don't know whether you did, but how does it? How did that practice develop with you and, and show you something other than just the physical? How has your process of practice evolved? I mean, the I don't know. I see a lot of parallels from my past. I mean, also, I mean, I I played the violin when I was young. I was a cheerleader. I was I I understood teaching, and as a student, I, I understood how you know, there, there's a certain responsibility for a student too, you know? And also when I think about in university, my cheerleading coach, I mean, he was super tough. So, you know, like I remember just in, in one way, like at that time, I kind of remember how I would come into practice, like so scared because I knew he would want me to do something that would be a little bit crazy, you mm. know? And I would be like, you know, and, and call on me to, 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 yeah, to do something that was maybe outside of my expectation and mm. learning to stay calm and focused within that ex, within that expectation he had for me. Um, what kind of stuff? I'm very thankful for that. Well, I mean, I didn't know, like, were you doing like backflips and things like that in it or how, how intense was it? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, we, yeah, we did, you know, we had to, we even had to do a standing backflip on concrete. You know, like it's, but so, you yeah. know, you're trained for it. So this is nothing for you. And the Ashtanga is like, <laughs> like retirement. Well, <laughs> no, it's quite different, actually. The oh. only thing that I, d I didn't have much, like in the cheerleading, I faced a lot of fears, but in one way, because you can be, you know, fears can come in many different textures and things, you know, but yeah, we did. You know, we would do pyramids and being thrown up in the air and all these types of things, which can, and at that age too, it can be a lot of fun and it can be yeah. exhilarating. So, but I think what I learned with that is I learned that practice, practice, practice is everything. Playing an instrument, being a cheerleader. I mean, even back then I practiced, we practiced every day. And I remember when I came to Ashtanga and I was the first time I went to a studio I was just asking one of the women there practicing like, oh, like how, how does this work? And, you know, like, 
with Ashtanga, like, you know, how often do you come? And she was like, oh, it's a six day week practice, you know? And, and when she said that, it just didn't intimidate me at all because I already knew what practice meant. You say, why, why the day off? <laughs> <laughs> six days. <laughs> Slacker. Um, well, I, that kind of, it's not really a lead on, but um, it just kind of jogs my mind on the question I wanted to ask you. Um, more, a lot, many, many more men proportionally uh, in, in roles of teachers than the demographic of the practice, you know, people practice, right? Like it's mainly women practicing, I was thinking this morning, whilst I was practicing, and mainly kind of men teaching, or, or you know, predominantly, right? So how, how do you see, is it different for a women in practice, a practice and as a teacher? Is there any difference or am I just making a division where there is none? Yeah, I've seen some of those seen differences. But, you know, like with... It, it's, it's interesting. I've been in some scenarios where when you're in a room with, when you're teaching with a room with mostly women and maybe you're co-teaching with a man, it's interesting how, especially if the man has some type of vibe, you know, like I find that there can be, if, if the man isn't careful, there can be mixed messages with that vibe, you know, because of being like, with the difference between sexes or a little bit of an attraction type of thing mm. where, you know, where I've learned is like, that's as a female teacher, if the majority of the people are female, that like that kind of goes out of the window. Yeah. You mm. know, it's like, mm. I'm down to business right away. And I, and I don't use charm to, mm. to get people to like me. Like if anything, I, they probably don't like me at first. <laughs> And because I'm always like, let's get down to business, let's get down to work, and then maybe they'll like me later. But yeah. I, you know, I'm not so concerned with that. I'm really thorough in how yeah. I, you know, process things. So I like that, and I think that it's so all too easy yet again to just because we want to be liked, you know. And if you don't need that endorsement, then you have so much more objectivity, you know. Well, I mean, it's interesting how things have evolved because. Sure, I might say something funny, but I'm not trying to be funny. Do you know? Mm. Like it's, and I, I'm not trying to say that it's it's the room should be serious all the time. But I, you know, I, I find it interesting how sometimes in certain scenes, like if we're supposed to be comedians too. No, I'm here to teach you something. Like, and I'm supposed to like be something like other than what I am. And I actually take the craft of teaching. Like I take that in, like I want to improve my craft of teaching yeah, yeah. and how I communicate the skill sets and the techniques to students. But I mean, I'm all for saying something light and all that type of thing, but I'm not trying to be a comedian or an entertainer, really. I'm, I'm actually, I want students to leave the space with me really learning something, mm, mm. really learning something and to be empowered through that. Mm. And it's not about like trying to to gain like some type of like adoration from this. No, mm. I, I I could care less about that. But if the student leaves with skills and things to to grow from, that is a hundred percent satisfaction to me. Mm. And when I get feedback later, when students tell me, "Wow, like I've gone home and." You know, and there's been times I've been tough on students. Like, you know, one woman I remember, she just wanted to be married to the wall and Pinchamaya Rasana. And I said, you know what? Like, 
at this point in the intermediate series, you should be holding your own. And I was, and she really didn't like it, you know, Mm. like, and I, but I, you know, it's firm and soft, you know, how you approach it. But then, you know, it's so great when she says, I went home, took your recommendation. I continued, I'm doing it by myself. And, you know, this is the beauty of it. That's nice. It's really nice the way you said that. Um, Where do you get the confidence from then? And where do you draw your reserves from? Because it's tough. I mean, you're in, you know, I mean, you're you're a very popular teacher. You're doing big retreats with many people, you know, you're traveling around the world um, and you're facing, I mean, you know, as teachers, we do face challenges, you know, trying to push people into places they're not happy with, right? And Mm -hmm. uh, you get feedback from that. And, you know, uh, where do you get your inner reserves? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's so funny when you said that because when oh, I when I when I was in yeah. when I was in China last um last summer and I saw that Chinese medicine doctor, he was like, Your reserves are empty. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah. um you know, I, so many things reflect from my own journey in the practice. And, you know, I've studied with teachers for sure, but I've spent a lot of time on my own on the mat too. Like, so intermittently, like even when I was an earlier practitioner, I had time with the teacher and I had stints without and time mm. with the teacher and stints mm. without, which I feel like is such a, if you really are focused, it's such a great enrichment because what I would do would be like, if I learned something from a teacher, I'd really would want to apply that like on my own, on my mat, in my practice. And I try to communicate that to students. I always tell them the application of what I'm giving you now is ultimately going to be the most important thing moving forward. Because I've noticed too, like sometimes people, they, they start to collect teachers and workshops. Oh, I've done this and I've done that and I've done this. And then I see their practice and I'm like, hmm, You've done a lot of workshopping, but what have you done in the application process? Yeah. You know, and I try to map that out, you know, like, and, you know, I just don't have, I don't know. I just don't have a problem getting real, but it doesn't have to be nasty, you know, like it doesn't have to be, because I'm not a dictator, you know, but I'm firm, you know, like. I don't think you have anything to prove. Let's put it that way. Um. I know your main teacher and primary teacher has always been Shiraki. Um, have you had any other kind of teachers along the way that have been inspirational to you? I mean, even though, I mean, Ashtanga, I can't remember who you're, who was, who taught you other than Shirak. Well, I guess the other teacher that's been a huge inspiration for me is definitely Tim Miller. Right. Okay. And outside- I think there's so much about his, at least in my experience, the experiences I had with him that I just found him to be, there just, there was so much depth there in, in a way that he didn't over speak. And I just appreciate that so much. It was, it was some, cause in a one way from what I remember about Tim is that he, there was an awkwardness to him. He was very introverted, but you could just feel the radiation of the love of, like the practice and um, even like a bit of emotion. And also he he felt very heart-centered to me, but it wasn't something that he talked about. It was more embodied within his energy. And I just, 
that's where I started to really understand what, you know, yoga is about, you know, you're, you're, you're walking the walk, but, you know, sometimes nowadays I feel like it's a lot of, you know, talking and walking and saying not so much doing, and it Mm. doesn't always have to be explained. Mm. Mm. It's an energy. It's a, Mm. it's an embodiment and Mm. it's something I'm trying to learn and understand it just, but it's, um, I just felt like he really had, he illustrated a lot of that for me because there were some moments where I just really felt moved Mm. and it was nothing that was said. Right. You know, yeah, he does definitely have that emotional center, doesn't he? Mm. Yeah. Um, how uh, you touched upon the the idea of embodying the walk or embodying the yoga? Yeah, how does that how does that feel in in life or off the mat? How do you embody it? What does it mean for you? I just you know, there's there's so much that's unseen. You know, like it's like tapping into that unseen aspect of, of yoga. To me, it's very mysterious still to this day. Like I I don't have it pinned down. I just, there's moments of grace that happen on your mat. There's moments of grace when I walk out in nature. Yeah. And sometimes I'm struggling in between those moments, honestly, do you know? And Mm -hmm. there's times I feel doubt and confusion, but I, but those moments of grace that would just keeps me going, like, because it's just so beautiful. And I just really, it, it's a mystery, you know, it's like, it's just, and the thing too is like, the one thing that I've understood is that it goes beyond, like words can't encapsulate what it is, you know, mm. what we are trying to connect to. Words don't do it justice. That's when sometimes when it's like, when it's so much like, la, 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 it's just kind of. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. You mentioned before that you can't, you know, it's good to have doubt and it's good not to know, you know, Mm. you know, and that's true. And I think what you can, it seems like we can see more these days is the certitude about the practice, you know, like, and now it's easy. You can go to my store. It's all very easy. There's no doubt involved, right? And you get your certificate, you know, quite quickly. And then you go out and, you know, you know the practice, right? Um, that kind of vein of, of humility or not knowing is I maybe experience less these days than maybe it was around maybe when we started where there was more of an uncertainty around things, right? Mm. Uh, as materialism has become more concrete, I think, the way of teaching has also become more definitive and this is what you do and it just means this and this and this rather than opening up to just keep on questioning that, you know, the big question really, you know? Yeah. Like, what is it that we're doing and, and who is it that's doing it? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I was kind of circling around another question I had on my mind about uh, what advice you would give for, for uh, newer teachers because, I mean, we're always um, – every year probably increasing in numbers a tenfold these yeah. days <laughs> and you are such an experienced teacher with so much uh, knowledge and experience um how would you encourage or help uh, someone going forward as they're just starting out to teach yeah i mean i i think that if i mean i can only really speak of ashtanga it's like you 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 have to be grounded in the practice first, like, Mm. and you can't allow the practice to be sacrificed, you know, like Mm. 
for the teaching. Now, I'm not saying like, oh, it's like you have to be a hard driver in the practice, mm-hmm. like, you know, but yeah, do it. Yeah, do. Uh, that's a good start. Yeah, yeah you, you, you've got to be a practitioner. I mean, in Ashtanga, I feel like it's just, it goes without saying, like you, you need to be a practitioner. Um, and the other thing that I, you know, always make mention is like, you know, st- as you pursue teaching, you have to earn the, the respect of your students. Right. right. I sometimes I see it like, but even like a teacher with experience that doesn't know who, you know, the group of students are walking into, they feel like they just, they, they are worthy of it right away. Like mm. you have to be willing to, to earn the respect. And mm. I find that that, that's something that's always in the back of my mind when I'm teaching, you know, with new groups and like new students. And now, of course there should be, like a two-way street of respect, hopefully mm. already in place. But I find that that is really important, and um, it takes time to to develop that. And I think that's really important for new teachers because sometimes people prematurely throw their power around, and it doesn't quite work. Mm. So um, I, I find that that's one of the the most important things. That's nice. Yeah. And what about like keep just keeping, I mean, okay, for one year, for five years, you know, you can carry on teaching, but if you're in it for the long term, you you know, like it, it does take your reserves, right? And, yeah. and, and, you know, and you're practicing as well. So you're doing this intense practice and you're teaching and you're giving out a lot. I, how do you keep stoking those reserves? <laughs> That's a question that you're a doctor. Your Chinese doctor. <laughs> what do you? How do you keep up with it? How do you keep getting up? I assume you probably practice before, or you know, at least you know how, how you're practicing every day. How do you keep it fresh? How do you keep doing it over the years? And how do you keep the stocks and interest and inspiration to teach? Because we're doing yeah. the same thing essentially. We, we are teaching the same practice, right? Um, and we're having the same kind of potentially the same kind of struggles. How how do you keep making it fresh? Keep inspired for it. I mean, yeah, I mean, it demands a lot of energy, you know, Mm. and and, um, sometimes I don't realize it as I'm teaching, but I really feel it after, like, I felt like, sometimes I feel like I've gotten hit by a bus, like, after teaching, I'm like, whoa, like, I didn't realize so much of energy was, like, moving out of me. I, you know, the thing is, is that, of course, there's always going to be new students, but I want to get students empowered and independent as quickly as possible, you know, with quality teaching, learning good techniques, learning good skills. And I find that when students kind of hold their energy and hold their own in the practice, and if I've done it properly, that it frees up energy in the room. Mm. You know, and I, I just, I, I, you know, I, feel like a good teacher makes themselves irrelevant (laughs) over time. Like these students should be holding their weight. They should be holding their own. It doesn't mean that you can't still offer that guidance and support. I just, when I think about some of my longer term students now, I'm just, I love it. I love that they, they get on their mat and there's, they're just breathing into the practice and they're owning it. You know, mm-hmm. like they're not looking at me with lost eyes and like, sure, I might be teaching them the next pose to move forward. But like, I just, 
when they really take ownership of the practice. I just love that. And I feel like it, it frees up that energy. Right. Mm. You know, and, but then again, it takes work to get them there for sure. Yeah. And, um, for some, in the moment of just teaching, like before teaching, sometimes I can feel the resistance, like, Oh God, you know, like, I don't know if I'm feeling this right now, but once I get into it, I don't know. The energy just comes and I think, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel the same. Yeah. So yeah. You're starting doing it and you see the interest and enthusiasm, you know, and if people are interested and you know, you can see their wish, you know, that it just it encourages you, right? And mm. we know the the experience that you've had with it as well. So that that for me it always motivates me, knowing, you know, knowing what it's given to me and knowing the possibilities that lie there for someone else, right? Yeah. yeah. But then if you go on. How do you, I mean, my other question was, how do you personally carry on with your practice? I assume you're still, you know, practicing the advanced series and you're still like, you know, like persevering with, you know, learning, albeit probably at a slower rate, but new positions and and developing, you know, probably advanced B now, I assume, you know, that's that's intense. And how do you keep motivation there? And you must have, I assume you've had injuries or, you know, at least difficult. I don't know. And um, you know, how, how do you keep it up? How, you know, how do you how do you keep up that? You know, when you when you're injured and you just don't want to practice, what do you turn to? Is there any inspiring ideas that when someone doesn't want to get on the mat, have you got any tricks or anything like that, or just a lot of coffee? <laughs> <laughs> Always work for me. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. Like, I it's kind of interesting because one thing I've been playing with, especially when it comes to advanced series, is like does it really have to be that hard? Like, can I relax into, like, for instance, if you look at third series, it feels actually in the beginning, it feels kind of masculine, you know, like, Mm -hmm. but can I be soft in this still? You know, I'm not talking about lazy, but can I still be soft? Can I relax into this? And what's so interesting, the more I focus on that, you can still do, you know, with, it doesn't have, you don't have to add on more like, you know, like that. And I just, the, the times I've experimented with it, but this is the subtleness. Like this is the thing that I find to be fascinating. It's not only the outer structure of the pose, but it's how you're channeling that energy in the moment of when you're doing it and the different rhythms. And sometimes I've noticed like, you know, slowing down a little bit, refining my focus helps to give me that, you know, that strength that it, that some days you don't feel is available to you. I don't know, like these types of things I'm really finding interesting to like to, to discover in the practice. Um, and mm. something like, you know, especially the third series, fourth series is a little bit of a different vibe, but like, mm. I feel like trying to bring a little bit of that softness into that particular sequence, you know, uh-huh. and, Advanced B is like intermediate. It's like, <laughs> right? it's like well, it, it kind of it's like an advanced intermediate, right? Whereas primary two is definitely is much more related to advanced A, right? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of going back to intermediate in a kind of very much more crazy way. If it could be crazier for some people, it can be. Believe me. Um, right. So yeah. So most like I think yeah. Sometimes I think we make it hard for ourselves, right? Like. 
you have to make it, I have to do this posture to the nth degree and I have to try so hard and it has to be at this level rather than just assuming, okay, let's see how to do this posture with as little as possible energy and, you know, and strain and struggle, right? And mm. be, does it have to be a sufferance or could it be made to be something else, <laughs> you know? Never means lazy, but it doesn't have to be a sufferance. And I think sometimes we thought it ought to be somehow. That if if you struggle enough, then it's like you've done your work, you know. Yeah, day's work, you know. Like I've tried as hard as I could, but trying doesn't have to be maybe so so physically uh, depleted. Yeah, I, I agree with that assessment. I, I think, and sometimes it's it can be easy to fall into that trap if you're not mindful of it, if you're not careful. You know, like, um, of course, it takes a body of work to kind of get there. Like, you know, if someone's new to those beginning stages of advanced A, yeah, they're going to feel like the heat. (laughs) It's like it's, but I think if you've been doing it for a while, you have to kind of temper that, you know, and like kind of see um, like this inner core working like in the practice and not it not allowing it to be reactive. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to have a reactive practice. Mm, mm. That's a nice way to phrase it. Yeah. What, what, and what, I mean, what's been the biggest challenge for you in the practice? The biggest... I'd, be, I'd be curious about, I'd be curious about a literal physical posture that challenged you, but, um, but more just, I mean, like just generally, um, what, what has been your biggest challenge with practice over the years? The biggest challenge, the biggest challenge. Yeah, not necessarily literal, like more metaphorical, maybe. I mean, I don't, I mean, I've definitely had internal ups and downs, like just mentally in my life and feeling like I go through a period of feeling a bit dark and then, you know, coming out of that. Um, But I don't know, I just... I don't, I just have this inner calling, you know, to show up and just do it. Like, um, feeling dark though, isn't that challenging to get on the mat? When, when I feel dark. Yeah. When you're having like a doubt, like, do you struggle with getting on the mat then? Or do you, or does that make you motivated more to go inside? And, you know, is that, is that actually a help? Yeah, like, yeah, sure. I mean, I've had ups and downs with motivation mm. at times, you know, where you kind of feel like, oh, God, you know, but, um, you know, those types of periods, I do the, I try to do the best I can with what I have, you know, and, but there's another aspect where it also feels fun, you know, mm. it just, it, like, it feels fun to explore these poses and, do you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. And it yeah. should be fun. I mean, I think, you know, as much as we're talking seriously, you know, you don't have to be kind of overly pious about it. It, it is fun. It is fun as well, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's fun to move the body. It's fun to, to test your boundaries and see if you can do more. And, yeah, it should be honestly um, stated as so, right? It shouldn't be denied. It doesn't need to be denied. And it still can be something more as well, you know? I think we often say, well, there's fun and then there's the spiritual and the two never shall meet, you know? <laughs> I think that's, that's unfair. That's unfair on, uh, on both sides, <laughs> the fun and the spirituality. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. 
What about, I mean, I wanted to talk to you about this because I remember reading your blog years ago and you were talking a lot about diets and experimenting with different diets. I think you were mm. mentioning time, some seaweed capsules you were taking, I was remembering, <laughs> right? Uh, you were finding the energy was low and you were experimenting with things. What, how, what's been your process with diet and have you got any ideas about it now? Have you come to an understanding or a balance with it? What do you reckon? Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe it's controversial, but right now I just feel like I don't want to, I don't want to, accept any diet ideology or indoctrination at all. Right. Okay. I, you know, it's strange. Like I've gone through a process where I mentioned earlier that I'm quite observant and sometimes I just see like in the community really weird eating and it to me a lot of disordered mm-hmm. eating to be honest mm-hmm. and yeah. I kind of finally came to the, and also in myself, like trying so many different types of diets and cleanses and like all these things. And I've just kind of come to the point where I need to feel my own body and feel what it needs. And my body is going to tell me and I'm going to listen. Right. And I don't care what anyone tells me on the outside and like, do this, do that. I'm just kind of over it at this point. Because some things just were not working for me personally. And I've also understood, you know, there's different body types. We have different ancestral makeup. Mm-hmm. Like what's going to work for me is not going to work for someone else. I mean, I've tried almost everything, I feel like. It's just, you know, besides like, you know, I, I, I will never, I don't think I'll ever adopt like drinking blood or <laughs> doing like a hardcore like carnivore diet or something. But I, I just, um, I don't know. I've come to a point where I'm just so done with all of that. You know? Are you vegetarian? If you don't mind me asking. Um, no, I can't say that I'm full vegetarian. You know, because, what, and this is a thing that I've noticed because I was going through some things like with hormones and like, um, mm-hmm. you know, you just can tell huge digestive issues, mm-hmm. you know, like digestive issues and and also muscle recovery like muscles not healing mm. and my body type needs much more protein mm. um i and the other thing i noticed and but i knew this for a while like i don't do so good on grains and i don't like i i've been keeping my sugar low mm. i've been upping my protein like the mood more stable Uh, the, like the cravings, you know, like I used to have like these sugar cravings and like the energy, like, like going like Mm -hmm. this and just feeling like naturally just feeling more balanced Mm. Um, and also feeling the muscles recover better. Mm. And supplements, do you take supplements or anything like that? Do you, because I think you're experimenting with a lot of a different kind of vitamins and stuff, you know, and extra things that you do, you're not doing that anymore at all? Yeah, I do like a, I'm always kind of interested in, in different supplements and things, but yeah, like I, I mean, I'm really religious with taking vitamin D and K. I think that's so important, like Mm -hmm. for so many things, um, especially since I live in Sweden and, you know, for half the year, there's not Mm -hmm. so much sunlight. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm really religious of taking, yeah, vitamin yeah, D3 plus K2. Um, and, and again, a lot of people don't realize that many people who take vitamin D, they don't take enough. 
And that can really affect your mood if you bump up the dose a bit, but you have to do your research on that. Um, what else do I take? Some I, I take, yeah, I'll take magnesium. Mm. Um, but I mean, I have a lot of things like floating around in the, <laughs> the kitchen, but I don't take everything every day. Just pop them when you feel like it. <laughs> around the kitchen cabinet. <laughs> so just to end on a quick fun note, um, and then this is a throwaway. You don't have to think too hard about these answers. Uh, where's your favorite place apart from apart from Sweden? <laughs> <laughs> well, people ask me this all the time, and I just I don't have a favorite place. I have many favorite places I like to go to. Like? But... What's that? Where do you like? Let's rephrase that. What what one of your favorite places? I mean, I love. I love Rome. I love Paris. I love Greece. Um, I really like, I mean, I've been to Bali. I like, it's just like, I almost like, ever, like there's something good about, I love many parts of Europe. Sunny places in Sweden, it all seems. What's that? I, in the sun. Yeah. Places with more sun than when you're living. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've suffered with that, I think, right? Yeah, lack of sun there. But I just, I'm trying to think of a favorite place. Yeah, well, it's a question, but yeah. those places, and actually that place you posted in the, uh, I think I saw a picture of you in a, a retreating, in, was it uh, Mykonos or something like that? It looked, looked fantastic. Yeah. yeah, that was nice. Yeah. Um, and another silly question, what's your treat or your guilty pleasure? I mean, one? I'm not always so guilty about it, but like, oh, okay. <laughs> how do you treat yourself then? <laughs> what? I, you know, if you were to ask my boyfriend, it's like, I love like, I mean, I'm a shopper, you know, like I like looking for things and like picking things out. It's just like, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know why it's just, it's really bad sometimes. Like clothes or furniture or. It what's weird, it can almost be anything. <laughs> because even sometimes, like say like you're gonna make like, for instance, if I were to buy like a new camera, like I love researching, like okay, what are the reviews? And the, it's really weird. I don't know. So still are you still photoing, by the way? Because I know you like photography, don't you? Yes, I do. I I mess around with a few things. Like I, I have a, a fairly nice camera, like a full frame, but I, but it's interesting. You got, you all, I always default to the phone because it's so easy. Oh, really? You use the phone now. I oh. use the phone a lot, but I, I do have a camera that I like to take out and take time to like, you know, take good pictures. We still use a picture that you've taken of, of Teresa and my wife and me. Uh, up to <laughs> day, we, we still use that picture sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> We don't have many. It was a very good picture. Um, what's your? Uh, just quickly wrapping up. What? What? Um, what's your inspiration? Where do you draw inspiration from? Um, anything particular? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing to do with yoga. Is there anything else that inspires you in life? Something you read, or something you've hear, heard, or or just generally the place, a person. I'm sure David inspires you a lot. <laughs> So I'm just always, I love learning from thought leaders in, outs, even outside of yoga. It's, you know, like people are, yeah, I, I'm, I just find that I'm very interested in learning about lots of different things. 
if I'm, if I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of like kind of who that would be right now. And I can't really, there's not like someone right now that I could really name, but, um, I don't, I'm just a very curious person, mm-hmm. you know, like whether like we were mentioning like with photography, I'm like really interested in that. And I'm like, um, I've been interested in a few like causes, like I've been doing some research on, um, which it's, that's, that's kind of heavy. It might be something I'll talk about maybe in the future, but you, you know, there's like certain causes that like touched my heart that I'm very interested in. And I don't feel that I'm prepared to like go on a huge mission with it, but I'm just trying to learn more because I think that's really important. So, um, and I, you know, the other thing too, but I don't know if that's, that's not necessarily inspiration, but I just also like to hear other perspectives that challenge the way that I think, you know, the thing that I find that can be a trap is like, you know, when the mind just starts kind of going on like a lockdown, you know, I, mm-hmm. well, I think inspiration is a lot, a lot to do with inspiration is the wish to be inspired, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know? And then anything could be inspiring, potentially, if you have yeah. the interest to, to, to look at it that way, I guess. Mm. And finally, um, what advice would you give to your younger self? Have you got any, if you look back and you, you know, could do it over again, could you recommend doing anything different for you? I would tell my younger self to, to trust, trust your intuition, trust your first impression. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Because, yeah, you know, I, and I, I feel like I, yeah, anyway, I don't, maybe that'd be too personal. <laughs> it was start to, but I just feel like I, there's sometimes that there, I've received the, I don't see the it. Or the, I don't feel that you would have not had that. Yeah, you seem very self centered, you know, kind of not self centered, centered in yourself. <laughs> you seem very self, yeah, centered in yourself. Full of trust for yourself. That's that's how I I really taken you in this interview. But um, thanks very much for joining me. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Um, yeah. And I guess uh, after this period, I'm sure everyone knows where to find Laruga. You can find her by googling her. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to say a website these days or anything. You know who she is. Um, and find her all over the internet these days. So thank you very much, Laruga, for joining me. Thank you.